Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, Is America Exporting Its Activist Mindset? In today's deep dive, unrest in Colombia leads us to interesting questions about the role that recent American political manifestations have had on our southern neighbors. And in our Courage or Cringe segment, Facebook's Oversight Board and Trump Caitlyn Jenner's hangar woes, and Elon's SNL episode. Did Facebook's oversight board give clear-eyed guidance with respect to the world's most controversial social influencer? Or did they simply kick the moderation can right down the road? Is California's latest gubernatorial hopefuls campaign dead on arrival after a Fox News debut? Or is Caitlyn Jenner breaking the mold of our own limited expectations and simply zigging while the rest of the world zags? And finally, did the world's richest man throw a lifeline to a classic television show with flagging ratings? Or did his hosting appearance on SNL do more damage than good? We'll get into it on this episode of TDR. I'm glad I have my voice back. Yeah, no, you sound very different. You sound like I sounded pretty terrible. You sounded very terrible. Yeah, it was depressing. It was depressing me hearing you talk. (laughs) I did that. I did that open um, for the show. The I I swear I did that eighty six times before I could. I had honey. I had tea. I had everything, and I was just like I could not get my voice to sound even remotely normal. And then we had to cut the the intro to the open. I'm sorry, the intro to the show from a different show. And so you've got me speaking like super clear, and then all of a sudden like, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. But anyway, my voice is sort of back. How are you, Jesus? I'm good. I'm good. All right, it's getting warmer in LA, isn't it? We have to get uh, our central AC in here. A little bit. It's been a little cool this. I think last couple of days, right? At least in the mornings. I guess cool is an overcast and dreary, right. but not necessarily. Relatively cool. speaking, too. <laughs> sort of like uh, depressing mugginess. But um, anyway, it's the start of a brand new week. We have a lot to be hopeful for. We've got incredible, interesting topics as per usual to talk about. We got uh, Latin American. We haven't really talked about anything international, to be honest. Not in a while. Uh, We have, but like in the context of what it, you know, what it could mean to the U.S. Like what? Um, I don't remember. And again, that means nothing. You were just going to ask me that. (laughs) Australia. 
Oh yeah, for that's Facebook, right. yeah, right. Australia. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. you're we right. We talked about that, but we haven't talked about like our people, Latin, yeah, Latin American people, Latin America. We're gonna have some of that, and specifically my people because I'm Colombian. Yeah, this is specifically your people. I know, which so. is. Um, yeah. yeah, my mom was here this weekend, so she gave me chapter and verse on this whole thing. Oh, really? Yeah, and I forgot all of it, so <laughs> it'll be... Because <laughs> I listen like a son listens to his mom, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, mom, I of was, course. Um, I guess in similar light, I was having a conversation with an uncle of mine I haven't seen in a while. Um, he's in town, and I was, I was talking to him yesterday. And, you know, he was giving his point of view on the on the Mexican president, mm-hmm. right? And it's really interesting. Lopez because, Obrador. Lopez Obrador. I, I definitely understand how little i know of mexican politics it's crazy right and i definitely it was a case where i'm sitting there listening and i know in hearing him speak he has a very specific point of view that i know is counter to some of the points of views that i've heard from other folks is he a more like left guy no, or he's more for right him. Guy? he's definitely for him so, right, he's so more, more left le- more left in yeah. this case yeah yeah uh but it was really interesting hearing him speak to it because um i uh, it, like my my natural inclination is to want to engage and respond but I realized how little I know. I know about the subject, and I'm not going to respond based on memes that I've seen other people talking about Lopez Obrador from like other folks, right? Like I can't, I can't do that. So I'm like sitting here, like, like, oh, that's actually really interesting hearing you say that. Like, I wish I knew more, so I could actually engage more in this conversation. And even I, I remember one time somebody told me that you know whatever subject you are an expert in, like whatever that thing is, no matter how obscure it is, if you ever read an article about that thing that you're an expert in, you're shocked by the level of sort of superficiality, maybe lack of depth of whatever. And then the comment was, now imagine that happening across the board with everything that you're not an expert on, right? So, and and the truth of it is, is even reading some of the articles that we did on this Columbia issue, even though my family's Colombian, again, my mom gave me chapter and verse on it. You just don't have the, the kind of connective tissue to it to like know exactly what's happening and what's going on. For sure. So, I, I, look, I think as we get into it, we'll do our best to at least explain the situation, just to give people a little bit of context. Um, but I think this the question that we ask at the beginning of whether or not we're, you know, American activist mindset is being exported. Uh, it is an interesting one. I, I, I could make my, I could see myself arguing being exported. I could see myself arguing being imported. Mm. Right, because some of this type of activism that you've seen, especially across social class, which is this one, it has racial undertones, but it has much much more police brutality undertones than this one. Specifically that, and that's for Columbia. specifically what I want that, to touch that's on. That's the one that, yeah. that definitely like there's a big one there. But the but the classism issues that a lot of the root cause of the problem that started in Colombia, you know, it's a very Latin American problem, frankly, that happens in a lot of, a lot of these countries. Do you think that like I mean, not to be cynical, but do you think that this is like what would you say to somebody who said like, how is this relevant to me? Why does it matter? Why does what's happening in Colombia, you know, matter to me? Because, in fact, there hasn't been a ton of pickup about this story. I mean, increasingly more because the situation has gotten, well, sadly, violent. And there's also the whole relationship between what effectively are the two oldest democracies in the Western Hemisphere, which is Colombia and the U.S. So there's some of that that's made it more prominent, but it hasn't, like, super been covered. And somebody might say, well, why does it matter to me? I I think the why does it matter I mean, to me, the most practical reason why it matters is because of the impact that COVID is having in the global economy. That is right now being reflective in this microcosm of Colombia, which is, you know, part of the issue that they're dealing with. So I think, why don't we get into it? Because I think we're kind of speaking around in circles around the issue, right? So, In Colombia with an O, by the way, just for the record, Colombia. for the record with an O for Colombia, all the times I've Colombia. seen that misspelled. Yeah, yeah. 
Not like the university. That's right. Um, C-O-L-O-M-B-I. Colombia. Colombia. What's so, going on in Colombia? Uh, CNN reported, you know, there's been violent protests, as you mentioned, in Colombia for over a week, where at least 25 people have been killed and hundreds injured. Now, all of this began on April 28th, when the Colombian people took to the streets in response to fiscal reform that was introduced by President Ivan Duque. Uh, primarily in this... a young guy, by the way, this guy. So oh, is 40 he? years old or something. Oh, like I don't know that. And this fiscal reform was primarily in the form of additional taxes that were meant to address some of the revenue shortfalls in the country that have been caused by the economic impact of COVID. Now, while the reform is supposed to address the revenue shortfall that supports social programs like cash support for the unemployed and credit line for businesses struggling with from the pandemic, the issue that most people had with this proposed value-added tax, which is the form of what has fiscal reform was introduced as VAT, what it's called, is that that's basically placed on everyday goods, which will primarily impact the middle and working class who are already struggling, right? Isn't that like effectively a sales tax, though? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so what I'm hearing is that there was the proceeds of this tax increase were going to be utilized for things that could benefit the decline caused by COVID. But within that... The people who are paying that (laughs) were going to be mostly people that are, you know, struggling already to buy those same uh, goods and services that, you know, would not be, be more expensive, basically, right? Now, this is under the, you know, part of the problem here, of course, is the unemployment rate in Colombia is at 16%, up from 9% prior to the pandemic, right? So it's nearly like double. double. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is crazy. Crazy. But even though the proposed reform was withdrawn by the president, the anger from the people has been actually growing, right? Now, in large part due to the aggressive response by the government to the protests. There's been videos of anti-riot policemen using tear gas and batons against protesters having gone viral on social media. Uh, spreading beyond the big cities and across the country, which, of course, only made things significantly worse. Uh, you also have human rights non-governmental organizations saying that the death toll could be actually much higher, right? So they, they mistrust literally the government in terms of what they're actually reporting. Now, Colombia's uh, interior minister, Daniel Palacios, acknowledged that there's been police brutality and has issued at least three arrest warrants for police officers over protesters' deaths and says that he will be, would be open to an independent international inquiry over its police actions. Hmm. Now he's also mentioned that there's been more than 580 officers who've been injured during the same, you know, the same protests. Right? right. On the other hand, President Duque has blamed much of the violence on drug trafficking mafias taking advantage of the chaos. Now he said, the vandal threat uh, we are facing consists of criminal organization that is hiding behind legitimate social aspirations to destabilize the society, generate terror, and distract the actions of the public force. So that's like the FARC and all of those different uh, yeah. orgs. Mm-hmm. Now, Bogota mayor, Bogota is the, is the capital of, of, of Colombia. Uh, their mayor, Cla- Claudia Lopez Hernandez, had a pretty different take. You know, her point is that the government needs to acknowledge the deep economic inequalities that exist in the country. And therefore, was not, this was not the moment to tax the poor and middle class. She bad to timing. Say, yeah, bad timing. What young people want, they want inclusion. At this moment, they have high levels of poverty, high levels of unemployment. This is an extreme, unequal society. And they, they want to be heard. They want to be heard at the table with the president, not only with political parties or other social forces, but young themselves. They want to be empowered and heard. That level of inequality is oftentimes hard for me to even explain to people who don't come from a Latin American context that this is a very class-driven society, right? One where you are literally born into a last name that can either make you or break you. It is not like the U.S. where, frankly, of course, there's, there's disadvantages and there's things that are, you know, um, in our institutions that can be improved. But, right. at the, but anyone 
anyone can make it. Like you actually have, you know, you basically are are in a way, if you're born into the wrong family or wrong last name, you ain't going to make it. Like, I mean, that's, right, not right. in that sense, right, in terms of success. It's hard to explain that to folks it, it if is. they're not from and, there. And I think for, you know, for all the fair critiques that the, the U.S. has in terms of, of how opportunity gets created, generated, wealth gets accumulated, there is still at least a possibility. There's still ways to be able to grow beyond your class, whatever you're born into. And in some of these countries, you're right, because it's, it's not just access to to education, access to jobs. So much is, is driven by what family you're from, who your friends, who are the, you know, so your totally friends, and who are like the kids of the friends, and oh, that's yeah. how jobs get, get created and, and get placed. It's so, so difficult for people to be able to get past their whatever class uh, segment they're born into. Mm. So it's, it's extremely unfair. And, you know, there's so much, I think, about what is said here that I find really interesting, you know, I almost if you replace the, the, the names and the locations, doesn't this sound to you like BLM? Doesn't it sound and to that, you and, like and the response of... Exactly. Like, I think of and the president, why. the way President Trump, at least his perspective was during the time of have an iron fist in terms of, like, response back, which is the approach that the, basically that they took and how this really created just a worse situation. Then there's the element of... You know of of this um, um, you know criminal organizations, which I will like, equate to like Antifa, right? Like there's the Antifa movement that sure. is that, that, potentially making it worse, right? That taking advantage of the moment, the looting, etc. Um, it just all sounds. I mean, it's it's so crazy to me reading the story, just like in this very brief version of it, by the way. But how like how familiar it actually sounds. And that's the reason I wanted to have... To what's happening the, here, you know? That's the what, reason what I wanted, has happened here. It's crazy. Exactly. And that's the reason I wanted to have the conversation was because I see very interesting parallels and I wonder if had this happened 10 years ago or 15 years ago, would it have been the same? On some level, you know, the U.S. is very influential, period, across the globe. So we influence fashion, music, style, arts, and certainly political movements as well. So on some level, we're going to influence other folks, but the kind of... The positioning, the kind of framing of the discussion, the racial piece of the discussion, mm -hmm. which typically in Latin American context, as you know, it's more of a class and culture thing as opposed to a racial thing. Right. All of those things seem to me decidedly at least impacted by the American experience. And that's why I thought it was a good conversation to have. I think one element that is interesting about discussion is, is the role that police brutality is going to play in the social conversation going forward because of what's happened in the U.S., right? I mean, look, that summer... When all the protests began to happen around uh, George Floyd, you saw these protests also occur across the globe, like a different in Europe and Latin America, different places that were protesting what was happening here in the states. But in some ways, I think also making a, a a position, making a statement about their own police and how they feel they were treated. Because this whole issue about whether it's the police, whether it's military, taking a really heavy-handed approach against its people doesn't just happen in Colombia. I mean, there's been so many examples of that in these different countries where they'll go against the people. It but happens also, in Venezuela. It happened, it happened sure, in Mexico as well. Sure. There's massacres there that happened in the mm -hmm. 70s, I think was what it was. I mean, there's all kinds of events like this that that have occurred throughout, throughout time. And I just wonder if we're in a new era where when that happens, people are going to, rather than fall back, which is the, the usual, is only going to create more of that aggression from the people of really not not willing to take it anymore. I think the all, the interesting thing as well, I don't know if, how you would feel about this from a Mexican context, but I can tell you from, and I've lived in Mexico, ironically, and not in Colombia, even though I am Colombian, but the context of the cops, the police in those countries is also different than, than the U.S., right? In, in the Colombian context, first of all, 
police is something that you have sort of like local versions of and then the national versions of, right? The national police would be kind of the equivalent of our military. They're people who, you know, are at the airport, they've got their machine gun out. Um, it's it, it sort of, it looks very military in 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 its uh, representation. But the, the authority that a police officer has in Colombia, to my mind, is very different. I think it's almost like the assumption is these guys are corrupt. These mm-hmm. guys come from kind of – ironically, there's a class and a culturalism in that too. These these police generally come from poor areas. They generally have less of an education. Mm-hmm. They're generally seen as kind of lower by some of the people who have college educations and are more elite. And they don't have, in my Colombian experience at least, the kind of authority that a police officer in the U.S. kind of has. And by the way, I'm not saying this in any way to mitigate anything that they've done wrong or right. I'm just saying that the idea of a police officer tends to be different in in these Latin American contexts than it is in the U.S. context. Like the automatic assumption is you're out there for your own. You want to get paid. You want to get like a, you know. There's, I mean, there are a lot of less respected, first of all, right? Because of there's always this been this this sort of level of people, yeah, you know, looking for a handout. You could always bribe them type of thing. I think the thing, though, that is very different in Latin America, and I'm sure other parts of the world as well, than the U.S., is the use of military against its own people. Right, and I think that's when, you, or military police, or, or or like riot police, people that are not just to your point, the beat cop that is at the corner, whatever, directing traffic. Right, I think those folks probably are not viewed with a lot of respect and or fear for that matter. Right, um, but but yeah, there is definitely a different mindset. But I think the maybe the broader trend here, which could be interesting to 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 see, is is there a a sort of new way that people are thinking about how government and its policing should be handled relative to its people. Right to what degree the people are willing to put up or not with how they're being treated, and and frankly, in cases where these governments will try to take a heavy hand, does that only just light the flame even higher and faster rather than try to squelch things as they may have done in the past? And it's a combination of social media. I think it's a combination of always seeing what's what's happening that it can even happen here in a country like the U.S. that you can have this amount of protests for that long across sort of the the the, the span that it actually you know was able to spread. I think that all probably contributes to it. Do you think that we've inspired, at least in a Latin American context, a sense that you can demand accountability and get it? I, I think so. I mean, I, I would hope so. I mean, there's been – that's one of the challenges that you have in, in some of these Latin American countries is so much corruption for so many decades that it's really hard to believe that you know any kind of change, any kind of real change will actually happen. Um, and I, I hope so. I think, I think that's one of the things that you're going to see, especially with – Younger generations. I mean, that's kind of always been the case. Always younger people, the one that drive that kind of sort of activism across the board. But I think also the global connection of how people view their social and, and political ideology is more easily communicated across countries, like across borderlines, that I could see that being influenced back and forth, right? Uh, and people just being a lot more quick to acknowledge it and also want to do something about it, right? And the ways to protest, once again, are not just physical anymore. There's digitally as well. You can socially, you could expose a lot of this corruption that's actually happening, uh, not just by protesting. Of course, you have cases like this where it does turn into real you know, real life protests and, and actual physical harm, et cetera. The, the situation, and by the way, in real time, it's actually heating up pretty badly in Cali, which is where my family is from. Um, the part that sucks for me as a as a as a son of Colombian immigrants, my, I'm a first generation American, is that I grew up in the '80s, you know, and I was born in the '70s. Grew up in the '80s and '90s when Colombia had a horrific reputation 
the narco stuff, the drug yeah. wars. In fact, like from an entertainment standpoint, we're still like everything Colombian is basically about drugs. And that stuff is 20 years old. That stuff has been dead and gone longer than that. It's been really right. dead and gone in terms of a, a major thing. But nevertheless, it's like the back of the slinky. The part that sucks for me is that we just kind of rebuilt that. And now we've got sort of this dynamic, which is like, this is looking like it's pretty ugly and it's getting worse. You know what I mean? And so right. I feel like we're just getting out of this Columbia equals cocaine drugs. And now it's like Columbia equals this, this thing. It had actually been in, in a real level, a very stable economy for decades. And right. now it's like, we're back in the news again in a bad way. It's like being an offensive lineman. You know what I mean? It's like you're only yeah. talked about when you screw up. Yeah. And that's, that is the sad part about you know, the country being in the news in this in this kind of form because we spent, I mean, I know obviously you spent, but, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Colombia as well, you sure. know, from our previous, you know, work work experience, having offices there. And, and it's, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a beautiful country, um, very technology forward, lots of entrepreneurship that happens there. Um, it, it's, it's sad to hear that this is the case. But I think even within that context, if I think about even the folks that we worked with, these were all people that were at the top of, you know, in sure. the social class. Let's be honest about that. The kids that were going to the For top sure. universities 100%. that had all of the benefits, traveling all the time, you know, basically, in many cases, living much better than people here. That's just the reality, right? The majority of people here. Uh, and that's what we tended to deal with. We didn't actually deal very much. At least I never really dealt with most of the people that were at the bottom end of that of that social ladder and, and who, you know, been struggling ever since. And that's kind of the irony. Maybe irony is the wrong word, but that's the interesting thing about this is that the people who are out there who are leading a lot of these manifestations about, you know, driving this equality and whatever are the ones that have all the advantages, right? It's right. not necessary. I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't any people who are out there who are in the kind of lower classes that are doing this, but really the, the it's the younger, more college educated, you know, students, which also has a lot to do with this whole kind of last summer and BLM and all that, is it wasn't necessarily... But I think that's part of the impact, right? Like, if you're going to make actual change, you need to have... Those are the kids that actually have influence, let's be honest, right? Like, the kids that are come from the higher social class, mm -hmm. whose parents, whose friends of the family have yeah, wealth, have influence... Again, the irony. The ones who have the are right gonna last be name. The, are going to be the ones that are going to more than likely drive actual, actual change. Because also, if those kids get killed... Right, there's a lot more reckoning that will happen with that, and it's, mm. it's just values, the life, unfortunately, those lives are not valued the same. Yeah, and and it's it's sad, but you think you need those people that are going to be on the same page with you, that are going to be you know supportive of these causes. Just in, just like you know, we're making the comparison, just to what happened in the BLM movement. I think it was part of the impact came because it was it was a much broader support from different folks, including like especially from white people, frankly. In many of these cases, being at the forefront of those conversations, those of, of being in there in the group that allow for this sort of greater sort of focus on what was happening here and and and, and probably going to drive more change, you know? I know we have to move on, but do you think that I'm overthinking my concern about our exportation of things that my big fear at some point is that we lose the rich diversity of the cultures that are in the world, that we like – we, we so Americanize everything, our approach to politics, our approach to music and fashion and culture, that we just like take over like an, un, an uniculture, you right. know what I mean? That we're so powerful and we're such a great exporter of everything that we like kill things in the process. Do, am I overthinking it in this case? No, but I think that's been the goal of the U.S. for a very long time. Like we've been trying to export capitalism for how long? 
Let's be honest about that, Levi's. right? Like, right. I mean, we've been exporting capitalism. We got the communists wearing. We've been Levi's exporting democracy Chinese. as the only way and best way to govern, right? Like, it's been, to my mind, the objective of the United States for every country to operate just like it mm-hmm. for a very long time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's. I mean, we've. It's, it's interesting thinking about it from that perspective, right? Like, you think about all of the cases where the U.S. got involved in the politics, who the government was. You know, we could talk about Cuba. That's the <laughs> great sort of point sure. of conflict that was there. Sure. And so I think I think there's been political ideology, there's been economic ideology that's been uh, exported for a very long time into these countries, and now you have social—I don't know what you call it—social political points of view that that are also being exported, that are of course are facilitated through technology, and that but are no longer just being exported by the people at power. I think it'd be exported by by younger generations who are from the bottoms up to some extent sharing their point of view and influencing other countries and other young people from other places. To have similar points of view, and that's so. Who mm-hmm. controls what gets exported? I think that's what's actually changing. And that's the interesting thing to me. I mean, you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, generations earlier, it was, you know, Levi's and you know, music, you know, hip hop and things like sure. that. And now it is about kind of political ideology, activism, things like that, because of the democratization that's available via, via you know, all these different devices. And so I think there's a lot of good that can come of that, but I worry. I worry about that sort of net effect of. I just don't want to end up in a world that looks it's it's all like us, you know what I mean? It's right. like a, you know, carbon yeah. copy of the most, you know, the most the most well optimized social channel, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. That's my fear. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see, but it is an interesting conversation. Look, I really hope that the situation in Colombia does calm down so that yeah. people won't get hurt. But if what comes out of all of this protest and 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 you know, conflict that is occurring right now is actual change and hopefully for those people that are at the bottom end of that social ladder, then, then maybe that it will be a good thing. Tough to disagree with that. All right. Well, then let's move on cool. to courage or cringe. We've got Facebook and Caitlyn Jenner and SNL on the docket today. Uh, where do we start? Yeah. So as reported by NPR, about a week ago, we had our first major decision by Facebook's Independent Oversight Board. or um, Mount Olympus. As Charlie calls it, Mount Olympus. Uh, some people have called it like the Supreme Court for Facebook, but I definitely argue that at that point. I don't think some very illustrious characters on this thing. They they are very accomplished people (laughs) and some very vocal people, which is kind of interesting, right? Mm -hmm. So they took up the decision by Facebook to have indefinitely banned President Trump from the platform for his comments leading up and right after the attack on Capitol Hill on January 6th. So they basically said, You were okay to do what you did. They supported the decision. To start off with, right. So before it's saying in terms of what they actually concluded, it's like, they were taking up the issue of this, this, the decision, right, of, of Facebook to just ban them indefinitely. Right. Now, to your point, there was actually a two-point kind of uh, response. The first was that the board upheld Facebook's decision to remove Trump from the platform, right. find that he had broken Facebook's rules about praising violence, right, for some of the comments that it made immediately after the, the, the attack was taking place, right? However, it criticized the indefinite suspension and kicked the case back to the company either to ban Trump permanently or set a time frame for when he can return. Um, now, by the way, the timing that they're giving Facebook for this is actually six months, that they have to, within six months, determine um, or, or basically make a call if he will be indefinitely suspended, right, that he cannot come back to the platform at all, or permanently suspended, is a better way to say it, um, or going to give, or they have to give a national time frame as to when he can be back on the platform and, and how, right? Hey, did you ever wonder, well, like, what? So, what happens if they don't do it? Like, you know, what I mean, Zuckerberg owns like this whole thing, and he can't well, be voted I mean, out. Could, it's like, what could he do? 
I mean, uh, what can they really do? What teeth does this thing have? I mean, you're right. They could do none of it, but then it was his idea to set it up anyway. So it basically PR. completely undermines his own Right. It'll be bad PR. Point. Yeah, it'll be terrible. Yeah. I, I mean, I really do think that they have to hold up to it. Yeah. Because otherwise it completely undermines any kind of... Um, you know, position of of being of having a party that can actually make decisions, in essence, to like remove themselves a little bit from having to be the final arbiter of what happens on the platform. By the way, if he doesn't do it, then he's just calling for more arbitrary, for more legislative approach and and basically monitoring what Facebook can or can't do. So I think there's actually a lot of risk in terms of what can happen if he doesn't do it. He doesn't seem opposed to that though. On some level, he's even said that he doesn't mind he having some level it. of oversight. It's actually inter- it's so it's, it's such an interesting dynamic, right? Because this is part of the part that's like part for me chess. that was kind of interesting because I think in essence, and I've heard people talk about this, that you know, he created this oversight board or the idea of this, of this board in order to not have to make those calls, not have to make the decision on 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 being sort of the single source of whether someone can stay or not on a platform, give it to this third party, independent party. But they came back and basically said, No, 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 that's your job. Like, what are you doing? Like our job as a oversight board is to oversee, to oversee decisions that you're making, not to make them for you. And I think that's basically the very clear <laughs> logical. messaging that they came back, right? As a matter of fact, one of the board members even called Facebook a bit lazy for failing to set a specific penalty in the first place. That was the uh, ex-prime minister of Denmark, I think, right? Yeah, the board yeah. zeroed in on something critics have said for a long time. The way Facebook enforces its rules can seem arbitrary. It's often unclear what rules are being applied and why, right? By the way, which has been for a while. That has been, the yeah. Conservative, but, for sure. but it's been the conservative knock on that, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I agree. For sure, for sure. Also, as it relates to the Trump suspension, the suspension, they said that an indefinite suspension appeared nowhere in its rule books and violates principles of freedom of expression, right? Go, go back to the same point. Well, like, if you're going to suspend them, then you have to, like, say why. Or and once again, long. And for how long. And if it's not clear in your rule books, then you got to create those. Also, on the perception of Facebook being seen as biased, especially from conservative you know, circles, they said, we would only get rid of this talk that Facebook is leaning towards certain political opinions when we get to a stage when all decisions on Facebook and Instagram are taken with transparency and clarity and where all users are judged by the same standard. Now, the board said Facebook should do a better job of explaining its newsworthiness policy for how it applies to influential accounts. Under that policy, Facebook doesn't take down posts that breaks its rules if the company thinks they are newsworthy and in public interest, right? Now, lastly, the board actually called for Facebook to, for trying, called out Facebook for trying to outsource its final verdict on Trump. And they said, and I quote, Facebook has a responsibility to its users and to its community and to the broader public to make its own decisions. So courage or cringe on the board decision on kicking the case back to Facebook on the banning of President Trump. The that's the yeah that's the decision. I mean, I guess it, it, I'll go first. I guess I guess I'd go courage. Um, and this is my first ever Facebook courage unrelated supporting Facebook. Wow, slightly. Well, I don't re- know if it's supporting Facebook in this case. Yeah, it's guess, actually it's just supporting s- Mount Olympus, which is even I'm even more surprised that I you're supporting. I'm, I'm supporting the president, ex president of Denmark, and some academics from like Sri Lanka. Um. No, look, I think they're putting the onus back on where it belongs, which is like, hey, listen, you got to create rules. Now, again, it's it's a courage across the board. I'm going to critic, I'm going to critique it, but it's a courage across the board. I'm not going to go back on that. I think okay. that I think that the onus is on the organization to have clearly defined rules about how they enforce their their restrictions and policies, and that's for the benefit of everybody involved. So for that, it's a courage. Now, 
some of the things on, you know, in the decision-making process, obviously just seem bad in the sense that like, hey, they don't want to have the heat, right? So they could just throw it right. back. And then the question I had is, well, why couldn't they do this with everything? Why couldn't they do this sure. with every decision? It's like, we looked at it. We think you did okay in doing it, but you really got to fix this. So it's back on you. I mean, it's going to become like a, you know, right. this is like Zuckerberg's tennis, worst uh, nightmare. It's like a tennis, tennis match. A tennis match, yeah. Hitting you know it back and I mean? forth, yeah. Just like hit it right back to you. And then the other thing, which makes it, you know, um, which I wonder about is what I asked earlier, which is what teeth is this really when the structure of Facebook means that Zuckerberg is basically owns this thing forever. He can never be voted out. He's got some kind of preferential stock system that he's like, until he decides he's out, he's not, he's in, right? What teeth does any of this really have? You know what I mean? It's really Zuckerberg's decision at the end of the day. Sure. Um, I still think though, the, the, the threat, the political threat of more legislation that could directly harm his business, I think it's a big enough threat that it's in his best interest to do what he can to live up to its own commitments. So things that he said he's going to do, like having this oversight board. And you don't think that dude's played out like the Section 230 being passed and he's already got like what that plan looks like and how he makes more money sure. by, by making, even if it Probably. does happen? But by, by the way, but I don't think the issue is Zuckerberg, to be honest with you. I think the issue is just Facebook. The issue is how much control and power this company actually has. Because look, at least you have a guy that at least in what he says, he claims to want to remove some of that sort of single source of power and creating this this other institution to help do some of the, you know, some of the judgment calls and even question his own business. Right. He's to your point has said like, look, I'm I'm okay with additional legislation. Let's figure it out. I agree. There's too much power in one place. It could have been the mother jackass that simply said like, fuck you guys. Like this is my company. I am super powerful. You cannot yeah, kick me out. Good true. luck. Like so. And he has sided in places that haven't been like, politically like, advantageous. Like I mean, that. That to me is like. You know, I mean, you could, we could, obviously, we could, it's, so, it's so easy to make fun of him yeah. and to pick on him. But at the same time, I think it's more that he's created this empire that he just happens to fully control that uh, it makes it very problematic because of how much you know, control it has in terms of communications and, and, and et cetera. So I say courage. Do I sense a contrarian perspective from you? I don't know, man. I, I'm really struggling with this one because I'll, I I could I could see myself saying courage on it, but I don't like the kicking the ball back. Yeah, I really dislike that. Um, and I feel that in essence, do you think that they should have just said, "Here's what we would do," but we're going to leave it up to you to concur with us or like like take a stand and and take make it that he could either agree or disagree with what they recommend. Like, would that have been better in your mind? Well, well, it, it kind of depends on how you view this board, right? I mean, so my understanding of what the board would do is that it wouldn't, this is maybe just my misinterpretation of what the board would do, is that it wouldn't just simply review decisions and say that was a good decision or a bad decision, but in some cases, create the actual, like, basically make the call when a call needs to be made. Like when, when you have authority. When you have a situation where it really is, it could go either way. Yeah. They make the call. Make the call. And I feel like in this case, they could have just made the call and created the kind of clarity that frankly Zuckerberg wants wants them to have. Wants them to actually do. Because to his point, it's like maybe in some cases, well, we shouldn't be the ones making the call. Maybe we do have so much power here and what we have is this platform that it's actually better to have this separate group that has, because of who they are, because of their own sort of political power, et cetera, within they are. They have like they're they're less attached to having to keep us happy. 
right? Now, it's, I, 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 may, they change, come up I with may change a, my mind on this. If they come back with a decision that he doesn't like, now, like, hold his feet to the fire. We're like, hey, deal with it. But then, but then, so I may change my mind on this, but I agree with what you just said. But what they're saying is like, look, you should have these kind of rudimentary things and you don't. So you need to make them. Like, you can't have an indefinite suspension. Just define what that is. So it's yeah, like... Yeah, and I agree. The, the thing, the, the thing, the reason why I'm... Okay, I'm convincing myself of why I'm now cringe. Okay, I was You're cringe. Fence, and now I'm cringe. And the reason is because this is such a unique case, and it could be so altering for how we view uh, people really in power, especially a president. I mean, that's a big deal. Like, and I get the whole thing, treat them all the same, but let's be honest, they're not all the same. They're just not. Like the the well, look in my intro, I said he's the most controversial or the most powerful or controversial social influencer so in the world. So to simply and say that, that you have to have the exact same policy that Joe Blow, who puts you know whatever. Right. Videos of their, you know, their pets versus Joe, Joe Blow's in the White House. Jesus. Versus, Be respectful. yeah, that's right, right. Or or President Trump, like it's just not the same thing. So mm-hmm. maybe he is of that much importance. Maybe that's the case I'm making, which it's he is of that much importance that yeah. he actually should help make a call to help create a policy when you really have, and at least if we if we believe that they did the right approach of who they brought into the board, some of the smartest minds that are most balanced, that by the way are completely outside of the Facebook ecosystem make a call that could be the better decision to make that is not then left to a single person to then make that does control so much of the power. That's really interesting. I mean, look, I I may go over to your side because I I do understand the idea of if you're going to have this tool, use it. And you're basically fully use it, right? Because because I think they partially use it. And I I like the commentary. And I like that they're going after hard in their comments with Facebook, calling them lazy and like, hey, you got to make this policy. I like all of that. But also think like, hey, guys, like, the reason why you're brought into this this conversation. If you know the answer, then just say what the answer is. Basically. Right, because yeah. you can do this two or three more times. What happens if what they if what they make is like whatever decision that they make, and then all of a sudden it's bored, like, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that decision. Let's let's retake that that comment again. Okay. Let's look at it again. All right. And like, no, that's still the wrong answer. Try it again. <laughs> like, all right. So let's make history. Let's make history, Jesus. I'm going to change my all vote. Right. I'm going to go to your side of the equation. I agree. You've convinced me that if you're going to have this body of governance that you've instituted. That it's that they should have taken the decision to, at the very least, in my mind, said, "Here's what we believe should be done." Right. Not we're going to send it back to you and you tell us what should be done. At the very least, so that's what makes it even, a cringe for me. Yeah, and I will say, even if you're not willing to make the decision, at least write an opinion that says, "Here's how we will look at the problem." Like the Supreme Court does. Like the Supreme they write Court a dissenting like, thing. Here is the here yeah. is how we will look at the problem. If we think it's your decision to make, but here's how we will look at the problem. Here's, and how here's we what we it. would say. Here's, here's what, what we would say based on that. Like even that would be like, okay, interesting, good job. Very your first time, first time, first time ever. It only took it took thirteen years. Yeah, that's great. Thirty seven episodes no, to think, get to that. I think it makes sense. I think it makes um, sense. It makes a lot of sense what you said. So, all right. So we're we're good. We're uh, we're one we're one for one. One for one. All right. Um, our second topic. So, Caitlyn Jenner. Let's talk about Caitlyn Jenner. Mm-hmm. So, as reported and seen on Fox News in a Fox News interview, Caitlyn Jenner, who is pursuing the California governorship. And the, and the upcoming recall, recall election has not helped herself with her comments on her neighbor not being able to handle the homelessness situation. So in an interview that Jenner was having with Sean Hannity, she waited on the homelessness situation in LA, in California in general, with comments that have now gone viral. So while performing the interview from her own plane hangar in Southern California, she said, the guy right across, he was packing up his hangar. And he says, I'm moving to Sedona, Arizona. I can't take it anymore. I can't walk down the streets and see the homeless. By the way, I'm adding like a little flavor for, yeah, for effect. Yeah, I hear that. It's so good. yeah, I don't good know inflection. if you caught that. Yeah, I yeah. Like that. 
Um, and of course, in less than 24 hours, a comment had drawn more 24 than... 24 hours, 24 minutes. Yeah, exactly. More than tw- more than 5 million views on Twitter and prompted a, a causing, you know, string of rebukes, you know. Sure. Uh, one-liners mocking the two reality star and as being out of touch, right? Now, there's a couple of that I thought was pretty funny, funny. One is from LG- LG- LGBTQ activist Charlotte Clymer. Uh, she tweeted, Caitlin for California, put the poor where I can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Get him out of my sight. Exactly. Uh, you had like comedian, you know, Kathy Griffin, who joked, well, you lost the private airplane hangar crowd, right? Which is, yeah, exactly. Now, w- one of the big problems here in, in all seriousness is that the main critique and big reason for the recall of Gavin Newsom is that he has been, you know, basically positioned as a wealthy, tone-deaf politician for attending this private, this inf- very infamous private dinner at a French Laundry, which is the name of a restaurant. Uh, while telling everyone at the same time to wear a mask and stay home, right? And he was caught without a mask and sitting was outdoors. It looked like it was actually indoors. So it was all a business that, meeting, his business meeting. All that controversy is what really, what really caused, you know, this recall to really gain a lot of steam, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think the comments that, that Jenner just just made kind of puts, you know, puts her a little bit in the same category, right? So Courage or Cringe, Caitlyn Jenner's uh, hanger comments. By the way, I didn't get into some of the other things in her position, but she's, you know, she is running as a Republican. She has mm-hmm. pretty Republican views on a number of things. Yeah. She was for the wall. Uh, she's for removing sanctuary um, status for California. There's other things like that. I mean, some of her positions are very sort of aligned to what would be considered, um, you know, classic, uh, um, you know, conservative positions. The one that we didn't get into here, but that was actually we were talking about before we recorded the episode, is that, you know, she also recently spoke out uh, against transgender women playing in women's sports, which is really interesting, obviously, coming from Caitlyn Jenner, who was famously a uh, an Olympiad athlete uh, and is now transgender, uh, or was transgender, but, you know, before, you know, converting. Careful, Jesus. And, no, but yeah, I think that's the right way to say it. <laughs> But it Don't was ask me the right obviously, way to say it. I mean, obviously, coming from her is 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 you know sure it's interesting for sure. It's noteworthy, I would say, at minimum. So, courage or cringe, Charlie, Caitlyn Jenner hanger comments. Your turn. I went first. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm total cringe on this. I, I think. Look, it's 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 so interesting man, because we we've over the last few weeks have been talking about. And as a matter of fact, we just we just discussed it in a couple episodes ago, which we were in Arizona. I'm sorry, in um in Austin. While we recorded, you know, specifically we were there to visit a community called Community First Village that focuses specifically addresses the homelessness situation. Um, and it's so easy to, when you think about the, the the challenge and the problem with homelessness, to think about a that kind of have that kind of response, which is just not here, just put them somewhere else. And while that's a, probably a sentiment that, frankly, a lot of people have, not just ultra, not just the the mega wealthy people that I have. When you're trying to run for governor of a state that is really struggling with this issue, and how you make that issue come to like you know struggling come to life, is generous, but you yeah. see, I'm saying like right, like come to life is by talking about your neighbor who has his own plane hanger who is is moving because he can't deal with looking at homeless people. Like that is just never a good way to start the conversation. Of frankly, what you should be talking about is what are you going to do? What are your ideas to try to solve for the problem? Yeah. Now, since then. She's put up some comments in her website about what they would do. But frankly, it feels like a little too late. Where if that really was her policy, like I feel like that is a good time to talk about it then and there. And you can still, we can maybe still tell that story, say, listen, this is kind of the problem is that we too many of us think about the homeless situation in the context of just not here. But without coming up with solutions, it's just not, that's not the right way to handle it. Yeah. 
we can't just dump them somewhere else. Like we have to come up with actual proactive ways to be able to address this problem. And she talks about taxing some business. I forgot what it was, but actually, it, was, it's, it literally was broken on her side. Just have but Jeff none of that stuff. None of that stuff comes across because it all gets caught up with this comment that sounds extremely tone deaf. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna agree with you. I think it is cringe. I, I, I was not mixed about it, but I was. Um, I thought it was unfortunate. A couple of things. Number one is I like the idea of somebody like Caitlyn Jenner you know, announcing their gubernatorial thing and launching their campaign on Sean Hannity. I, I, I love that. I love the the shocks to the system and Especially the- Especially come from her, right? Like, you exactly. Would not, but, but see, that's the interesting thing about Caitlyn Jenner. It's like, my understanding is she's been Republican for a very long time. Most people just wouldn't think about her but that way. But even still, even still, it's still, it's still a, it's a, it's a, it's an unexpected thing and it causes us to reconsider our expectations. Sure. And- I think that's a good thing. The other thing that I kind of nitpick about is this idea that everybody who's in a hangar is like ultra wealthy. I only know this because my son is a is a pilot, right? One of my sons is a pilot. Well, and but anyone that is in their own plane hangar. But even that, that's the thing. It's that crazy. they actually own. So, so, so th- that whole hangar <laughs> thing got taken, you know, who knows of this guy? This guy could have been a schlub pumping gas for all we know. But, you know, the the, the this is a minor point, but just because I actually happen to know this, you know, there's uh-huh. only about 13,000 private jets that are owned by high net individuals in the country, even if there's one jet to one person, there's only 13,000 people in an industry that has millions of people. Most people who work in a municipal airport and who are in a hangar are employees or have fractional ownership on a jet or are students who are learning to get their, their certificate sure. like my son. So not everybody who's in a hangar is like some loaded like billionaire. So, but whatever, like that. But, but, but you think when you're saying you're going to go move to Sedona because you're tired of looking at, at uh, again, and that's what is, we're, is that very likely to be the guy that is mopping the ground in the hangar? Probably, probably not. Probably not. But my I'm point is that, come off that precision way. is important <laughs> to me, and I and I want to make sure that people are educated on this. The fact that just commercial airline uh, commercial airline employees, there's more than seven hundred thousand commercial airline employees. There's millions when you include the municipal airports, and there's only thirteen thousand private jets owned by high net individuals in the entire country. So. Again, th- not everybody who's in a hangar is some like uber elite billionaire. And, uh, you know, if, if, for, if for no other reason, just to make sure that my son listens to the podcast and goes, thanks, dad. Get, thanks for having my back. Um, so but but aside from that, um, obviously, the carelessness of the commentary and even if she doesn't believe that, right, even if she doesn't mean that, right. the, the idea and, and look, you know, sh- part of the criticism ag- against um, Caitlin is that she's green in politics. Sure. Right. And that um, that when it comes to being on the spot and being asked policy questions, all those things, there's a lack of preparation. So all those things are there. And maybe that's what happened here. But the reality of it is, is that answering a question like that with, you know, look, I talked to this guy and he can't stand them. Or at least that's what it but, sounded but it's like. Not a, see, but the, the funny thing about that's what that, it sounded like. it's not a policy question. It's a... It, that's I think what's no, really no, no, bad know, about it. I'm, right? say, like, I'm saying her lack of preparedness is yeah, a criticism yeah. that she that, yeah, that yeah, has yeah. been given of Caitlin. But I think the comment though speaks less to a, to how much she understands policy, but more about what her true feeling actually is about the issue. It's possible you're you're probably and 100% it comes, right. It comes off that way. Now whether it's true or not, once again, I don't you know yeah. we can't speak to her heart, whatever. Yeah. But it definitely sounds that way. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that statement. My point is that the idea of the you know 
shuffling away storage of humans because they're inconvenient to us is something that I'm against in all facets of our life, including this issue. Right. And so for that reason and, and others, I'm definitely cringe on that particular statement. Having said that, there's some things, like I mentioned, that I like and some misunderstandings that I'm not happy about, but it is what it is. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Um, How many times have we talked about Elon on the show? He should really not, be not a, that much. Actually, he re- have we a few times? I mean, it's enough. I remember. Yeah, well, we talked about the NFTs. Uh, that was the last time we talked about uh, talked about him. NFTs and some other thing we talked about. But. So this past weekend, Elon Musk hosted SNL, but his arrival to the show did not lack uh, controversy. So, I remember that show with many fans. Yeah, exactly. It was right. funny at one time with many fans, including cast members, being unhappy with the entrepreneur slash billionaire being asked to host. But was this another case of woke politics or maybe cancel culture or is the real culprit here SNL itself? Mm. So there was a great article that I, you know, I read from Emily Vanderwerf from Vox who wrote a piece on this, right? A piece? Wrote yeah. a novel? <laughs> no, I mean, to her credit, oh my God, this, this woman can crank out words because this thing was so long. She must have a time uh, machine. She started to write it before he went on the show. <laughs> it was really good. I mean, It was good though. Like it was interesting, but it was super, super long. Like, oh my, this thing is like, the will not end. Now, she posed both the question and answer all in one hit, which I love. So, and she said, and I quote, so just why is Musk hosting SNL if he sparked such controversy? I can tell you The answer is right there within the question. Elon Musk is hosting SNL because he sparked such controversy. Also true. Now, according to the piece, SNL many times drops controversial figures into its host lineup in hopes of goosing ratings and driving conversation when people write articles such as, you know, this one from Vox. Now, about six years ago, the show handed over the hosting gig to then-presidential candidate Donald Trump. 2015. And look how that turned out. <laughs> I don't remember that. I didn't, I didn't realize they, oh, they had sure. done that. But that wasn't the first time he'd done it. He'd done it, like, he'd done it a number of times before. I did not realize that yeah. at all. I, I must have blocked it out loud. <laughs> it's a dark time in, in history. I was going to say. Uh, it's like many other pop culture and network news content, SNL has been, rating, has been in a rating slide since the 2020 elections. Now, since controversy drives curiosity... By the way, that's an interesting topic just by itself. In a ratings yeah. decline since the 2020 election, I mean, basically cable TV is just... Uh, yeah, and it's... I mean, it's pop culture, is news, and, you know, SNL has always been in that sort of interaction of talking about pop culture, kind of being in that news, side guys kind of conversation, and all of which benefited quite a bit from, you know, basically... Uh, jumping on the, you know, Donald Trump bandwagon, or at least kicking Donald Trump bandwagon uh, for this entire time, right? Now, since, of course, controversy drives curiosity from, you know, casual audience members, uh, Musk will definitely drive controversy, and therefore benefiting the SNL viewership. Uh, Also, the article makes this point that the SNL decision to let cast members sit out who wanted to take the week off and protest would only feed into this controversy, which I thought was like a really interesting point, because I don't know if you saw this, but... They basically said to all the cast members, hey, if anyone doesn't, you know, feel comfortable being part of the episode because of your protest of 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 Elon Musk, you don't have to be in the show. You can take the week off. It's fine. And of course, that's going to only get all of the people that are like against, you know, cancel culture that are in yeah. that, you know, like to get you more fired up. Right. My question would be with pay or without pay? Well, that's a whole other question, right? So, by the way, it looks like he's he's hosted the show probably four times, just so you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Donald Trump? Oh, wow. I mean, since the 80s, but... <clears throat> now, for those that dislike Musk, there is definitely plenty on Twitter to pick from. Mm-hmm. From his controversial COVID comments to his take on unions, which resulted in the National Labor Relations Board ordering him to take take them down. To his moving to Texas or to moving his the whole post, company to Texas. Uh, well, yeah, that was part of the, that was within the COVID sort of comments, right? 
to his post on cryptocurrencies, including his million-dollar NFT song about NFTs. That's he should literally to go that, to jail for just that. To Everything that, else, I'm to fine that with. To time he waited on the on the rescue of the Thai soccer team stuck in an underwater cave. Right? Still don't understand that, but I remember there was some yeah, there was crazy. He definitely jumped in on that one, which was like okay, it was really bad. But was all this really about Musk or mostly about SNL being pretty great at inserting itself into the middle of the national discourse whenever it feels like it, right? It and was programmed by the marketing team. That's what <laughs> exactly, it basically is. right? Um, and um, yeah, basically whenever the show casts someone as presidential candidate or a vice presidential candidate, the, the, the movie becomes headline news or whenever, you know, the, the ratings actually need it. Now, lastly... Does this Musk controversy break down familiar enough generational lines? And so the article talked about this, which that was pretty hilarious. Like boomers, their quote is, you get mad at anyone who, who you know you disagree with. Millennials and Gen Z, the hoarding of wealth destroying the planet. And then Gen X, which is what, you know, we are like, why doesn't anyone care about the Simpsons this much? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great line, which is like, yeah, like someone please pay attention to us, you know? So, which is exactly why, according to Vox, XNL can still dominate, SNL can still dominate headlines, which is baby boomers still control most of our levers of institutional power. Mm-hmm. And SNL is one of the most beloved cultural institutions. So that was at least their take, which that was a pretty interesting point of view, right? Because of all this controversy. And at the end of the day, to your point, you know, how much were the marketers in charge of creating this controversy? You look at those ratings. In the, uh, in the, in the case to, to drive ratings, you know. So courage or cringe, SNL's decision to let Elon Musk host. I go? I go first? You're going to go. I am total cringe. Cringe? 100% cringe. Right. On letting him host? Of letting him host, yes. Yeah, okay. There is no reason why they should have Elon Musk host. And by mm. the way, and I, I say that with not even thinking about looking at any of his controversies. Like, look, Elon Musk is a lot of things. He's a genius as far as I'm concerned. He's eccentric. He's done his share of controversial things. There's plenty of things that I agree with him and what he says, things I definitely disagree with him. Mm-hmm. Um, every interview that he's had with Joe Rogan, I've listened to, and, and I think it's really interesting hearing him talk. I think some of the things that he's done from an entrepreneurship are really like great. Uh, Tesla has been one of the best like companies that have been built in a very long time in terms of like really moving a product like extremely forward, uh, just of innovation. But having said all those things, like I don't see any reason why a person like that should be included in an SNL, which is still an entertainment show. Hmm. And frankly, it was so bad. Yeah, it was like I, didn't I watched see it, so that a couple I can't of them, and to. it was Horrific. frankly. And I'm a little bit like with with you. I, I actually like SNL. I've always liked SNL for a while. I think I, I think I still think of SNL from my college days and thinking when it was like Weekend Update was such a thing from yeah. back in the days. You know, like I remember I mean, maybe not Adam Sandler, but maybe even then I watched I remember watched a couple of episodes with him. But it was such a cultural icon, right, for such a long time, and it hasn't been for a very long time. And it was just like this. Frankly, was like the worst show that if you are. <laughs> If you were on the fence of like sort of not liking SNL anymore, you watch him like you're like I hate it. What are you doing? See, I'm glad I didn't see it, it was because so that would have probably Charlie, tainted my opinion. It was so bad. Like I, I, I look, and it wasn't anything because he wasn't trying. Like he was like this guy, like a rich guy, but it really felt that way. It's like, hey, if you're just rich enough, you can do anything you want. Have you ever seen the SNL skit, The Californians? Yes. It's hysterical. I literally yeah. like, just And there's died. some of the stuff that is super funny. I mean, there's still, there's still, yeah, there's seminal there's comedic still, work in like, SNL skits that I watch now that are pretty recent that sure. I still think is very funny. Incredible. I like Weekend Update. I like um, uh, Che and um, what's the name of the other guy? I don't know. Uh, I forget. I haven't, but I haven't seen the show I think show they have very good dynamic. Years. I think that's probably the best part of the show that it yeah. is right now. But 
this episode was so bad because you have a guy that like frankly does not belong mm-hmm. in television in any way form whatsoever as an actor because it also i think to me as someone that appreciates art it offends me that they think anyone who has never done any kind of art or acting they could just throw them in, yeah, there, throw them in there and we're supposed to be okay with it like that's what bothers me we've had me. that before though we've had not, a lot of but, non-actors but th- think about it think about it this way is like Elon Musk had you know came out in a um Iron Man 2 I think one of them. Like he had like a really, really small part. And it was perfect. It was like, you know. It was uh, like a Stan Lee cameo. Yeah. Tony Stark's wa- walking by. He's like at this F1 Formula, you know, Formula One race. And he like is walking into this this hall where there's like oh, this restaurant. Oh, really? He was in there? And Elon Musk like is like. With the is guy there. with the whips? With the yeah, guy exactly. That, that, yeah. that, right before that Make scene. Make character. Right, right before that scene. And he just says hi to him really quick. And like, oh, that's Elon Musk. That was perfect. That was great. Got he it. said hi. He was like, so don't don't trust on don't don't have him carry I'm, anything. I'm all for, so I'm all almost, for that. You're almost making a cringe, I'm basically on offended. artistic grounds. Yes, almost. I'm extremely offended from an artistic standpoint. Interesting, because I may agree. I may agree extremely with you. By offended. the way, I haven't seen it, so I may agree with you if, it's, yes. if it was that horrible. I may agree with you on artistic grounds that it should be a cringe. But I'm gonna go counter to you on on the fact that he was invited as a courage because I think part of it is. You know, first of all, I think there's the reason we don't like Elon or people don't like Elon is. Principally because he's successful and visionary and wealthy and all these all these things, but also because he doesn't fit the mold of people who are in the spotlight at that level who are young and at that age. I think he's been critical of some of the woke culture that's happened. He's definitely talked about leaving California. He's, you know, not in that kind of like Hollywood, L.A., you know, mold. And I think that adds to his controversy. And I think we need some of that. We need to inject some of that stuff so we don't like, you know, just basically hear our own, you know, everyone's, the industry, the uh, entertainment's industries echo all over the you know place and navel gaze constantly. So, you know, that's that's an easy thing for me. You've learned this about me over the years that like when something kind of is thrown in right. there against the grain, I'm probably going to land on its side. Having said that, I understand your point. And, you know, I would prefer to have somebody who could actually carry a scene, who could be funny, who could do different things. And so on an artistic level, on a comedic level, on an entertainment level, you're probably right. Like he has no business being there. But him being there... I think is important enough so that if, if for no other reason to show, hey, there's people that have different perspectives about things and we want to give them an opportunity to be heard. So I think that's the right. reason or why. Or have, I him, come fine, down have him host, just not show up in any of the skits. Have him do a little monologue. Is that at the possible beginning? though? I thought they like host <laughs> think so. to, Yeah, that's like a new version. But it's like have him host do, light. He was so bad that they even had Miley Cyrus as the as the artist. They have Miley Cyrus show up on the skits. Just because they needed to have to carry that, him to carry him to like yeah, like hey we we actually we just can't do it with just him, and like three or four of the skits that I that I watch, he literally is playing himself or a version of himself. That's a just because like that's the only thing he can. <laughs> it's like it was so we want bad. You to, you can imagine the coaching. We, yeah. we want you to play Elon Musk. Right? Can you do that? You think? I think I can. I think I can. Right? Pull that off. They have one about Mars, about the first guy like dying in Mars, and like the whole literally the whole skit was written. On a bad tweet, on his bad tweet, I said, "Yeah, we're going to Mars. People are going to die." Oh, I remember. We were, we almost so, talked so, about doing so that they on the actually show. create a whole skit, Charlie, just to make that the punchline. Yeah, see, totally, people were going to die, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I just watched whatever it was four and a half minutes to get to this to like a really dumb punchline <laughs> of where he's playing himself. Literally, hey, I'm Elon Musk, and we're now on Mars. Oh, look, this this moron died. Have they ever impersonated Musk? It was Musk? so bad. Charlie. Has anybody like an Alec Baldwin did Trump? Has anybody tried to do him? I, That'd I be funny. I don't remember seeing that. I'm, and I've seen a lot of the SNL yeah. content, but I don't remember ever seeing that. Um, maybe. I don't know. 
It was so bad. It was so so bad. Well, you convinced me not to watch it, if nothing else. You, I'm you not should watch a couple just just to like see if it's just me. But I no, was I'm offended. sure it's not you. I was deeply offended I'm from sure an artistic de- standpoint. I would be deeply offended too. But sometimes the uh, you know the the symbol overrides the artistic merit for 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 some in some cases, and I think this is one of them, at least for me. All right. So all right, we came well, close. We got you know two out of three. Not bad. All right, Jesus. That's us. We got some fun stuff coming up uh, here in the coming weeks. Um, anything else? Any parting words? Uh, no, I mean, uh, look, I think we're all going to probably keep an eye on what's happening in Colombia. And look, this is the kind of the kind of thing that I do think. Going back to why should we care? Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like we should care more. I, I think this is the kind of thing that, that. If, if people have not heard about this, have not like read into it, they should. Right, because these are people that are going through a very difficult period right now. And I do think that the some of the economic struggle and therefore social unrest that is coming from the aftermath of COVID um, not only can happen in, in some of these smaller Latin American countries, but it can be something that could still even happen here. I mean, let's be honest, we're, we're not completely out of the woods yet. Not even close. And we got pretty close. So I, I think that people should actually care more about how these things actually can handle than and it's uh it's it is a sad situation. I think the whole issue though about exporting our um social and political beliefs is actually a really interesting one in the context that we maybe this could, it's probably gonna have to be a part two at some point. In the context now of it's no longer the people in charge who are exporting that. That's right. But it's the people who are actually exporting that. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic of what that then means going forward. Uh, for how different countries and different political systems end up operating. And I think people should care ultimately because, like you said in your earlier point, it's a great people, great country, and uh, if we have an opportunity to learn about other folks, whether in times of positivity or times of strife, it's uh, probably an opportunity that we should take. So anyway... Folks, remember to subscribe. Visit us on patreon.com backslash the diversity remix. We got some fun shows coming up in the coming weeks. And um, please keep the feedback coming in. And we will see you again soon on another episode of TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the diversity remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers. And give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez, with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza, and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.